I'd like to begin a little differently this morning. I want to ask for you all to do an exercise with me. Don't worry, not a physical exercise. Um, So if you would please close your eyes. Now I want you to picture the most faithful follower of Jesus that you can think of. Maybe it's someone you know. Maybe it's someone from history you've read about. Can you see their face? Now I'm sure most of you are picturing Pastor Nathan. Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. Um, So uh, now that you have that person pictured, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. I want you to imagine them doing something. I want you to imagine them crying out to God, questioning his goodness, questioning his very existence. I want you to imagine them doubting. Okay, you can all open your eyes and look back up here. Was it hard for you to think of that person that you view as the most faithful follower of Jesus, doubting him? Yeah, it's not natural, is it? Well, the person that came to my mind when I first imagined this was Mother Teresa. It's a little weird to think about Mother Teresa doubting God. An amazing saint, how is that even possible? What would it even look like for someone like her to doubt God. Well, recently, we've seen what it looks like for someone like her to doubt God because her diary has been made public. And we've seen some of the things that she's written in her hardest times. I want you to hear a quote from her diary that she wrote in 1961. This was toward the beginning of her time in ministry in Calcutta, India. And she was working with the poor And she was witnessing the brokenness and the corruption in the society there. And it was causing her to struggle in her faith. So she writes this in her diary. In my own soul, I feel terrible pain and loss. I feel that God does not want me. That God is not God. And that he does not really exist. Again, she says this. In my own soul, I feel terrible pain and loss. I feel that God does not want me and that God is not God and he doesn't really exist. Now, it's hard for me to picture Mother Teresa, the saint, writing these words. She's one of the strongest individuals of faith in our time. And yet, she questioned God. Now, this could scandalize some of us to know that Mother Teresa doubted God. But I think what we're going to see in our scripture today is this. When life gets hard, even the most faithful followers of Jesus can question him. He responds by giving us hope, but not always in the way that we want So let's take a look at this truth in Scripture that life gets hard. Beginning in verse 2, it says this. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds 
of Christ, of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples. So the story begins here. John, the cousin of Jesus, is in jail. Things have gone wrong for him. He's at a low point in life. So what happened to John? How did he end up in prison? Well, he ended up in prison because he remained faithful to God. And in his faithfulness to God, he preached against an unholy marriage between a few Roman officials. And he also, during this time, was preaching to point toward Jesus. John is remaining faithful. And what happens to him? He's thrown into a Roman provincial prison. Probably one of the worst places you'd ever want to be. I just want you to picture John the Baptist with me. Can you see his long flowing hair? Can you see his long beard? Now can you imagine him chained to a wall with his arms above his head? His ribs are protruding from his sides. He hasn't eaten in weeks. He maybe gets a visitation from his disciples once every few weeks, and in a moment he says, please go ask Jesus if he's the one. This is where John is at. He is suffering greatly. And in fact, we're going to see in this passage that in his suffering, he has become offended by Jesus. Because Jesus is not acting the way that John expects him to act. He's not doing the things that John expects him to do. Jesus is not physically freeing John from prison. He's not physically ousting the evil Romans who are dictating control and corruption over all the people of Israel. He's not acting in accordance with what John expects of the Messiah, the Savior of the Jewish people. Let me ask you a question. Does this sound familiar? Jesus not acting the way we expect? Can you ever believe that? The majority of conversations that I have with people on the edge of faith go something like this. I'm having trouble believing in Jesus because of all the suffering in my life and all the suffering in this world. In fact, I find the message of Jesus to be offensive because I find it so untrue. He calls himself the Prince of Peace. Where's the peace? He says he's the healer, then why have I been sick for years? He said he was going to usher in the kingdom of God. Where is it? Our world seems so broken. And maybe this is where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel far from Jesus. Well, this is where John is at as well. And I've been in this place as well. This past summer, I lost a friend in a tragic accident. He was 30 years old, and I watched him die right in front of my eyes. And I thought that this could have been prevented. The people that I thought prevented it, I was angry at those people for months. And I was even angry at God. He had three kids. What was God's grand plan in taking a young father from his family? What was God's plan in this horror this is where John is. He was so confused. What was God's grand plan for having him in prison? Why wasn't Jesus saving him? 
Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, you know, Pastor, I thought that having faith and living faithfully like John the Baptist meant that God had plans for my life not to harm me and to give me hope for a future. Isn't that what it means to live faithfully to God? Isn't this how this plan is worked out when we remain faithful to him? And I think that this may have been where John was at as he was in prison as well. He is questioning God. And it shows us this, that even the most faithful followers of Jesus can question him. Let's take a look at that truth. Let's read verse 2 again. It says this, Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by the disciples. And he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So we understand where John's condition is. He is suffering greatly in prison and he's questioning God. He's questioning Jesus' validity as the Messiah. So he sends his disciples to ask this question of Jesus. Now, I think it's also very important to understand who John the Baptist is. Who is this man suffering in prison? And why and how did God use him? Well, John the Baptist was the first cousin of Jesus, his first interaction with Jesus was actually while he was in his mother's womb. He leapt in his mother's womb in the presence of Jesus. John was the one who spoke this truth over Jesus. He said this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only God could have revealed this to John. John was there at the baptism of Jesus. He was a witness to the heavens opening and the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus. John is referenced by Jesus multiple times in the New Testament as being the greatest man to be born among women. Jesus actually calls John the greatest. He's the greatest. Jesus saw John as a culmination of all the Old Testament prophets. He was the end of the Old Testament prophets' ministry. John is all these things, and yet in his suffering and in his circumstances, he doubts. He doubts that Jesus is really who he says he is, and he questions him. And John is essentially saying this in his question when he sends his disciples. He's saying, Jesus, you aren't doing what you should be doing. Look at the corruption of the day. The evil are still running. I mean, look at us. I'm in prison. I'm supposed to be the one that's pointing to you in my ministry. How can I even do that from a prison cell? And look at you. You were supposed to be the strong one, the strong Messiah. And in fact, you surrounded yourself with the weak. You see, John was expecting Jesus to act a different way. Jesus was not conforming to his expectations. And I think that seeing John's attitude and understanding who he is in this moment is actually very freeing for us. Because it shows us if John the Baptist, even though he was so amazing, that if he could doubt Jesus, that we can doubt Jesus as well. And that doubting Jesus is not a sign of moral or spiritual weakness. 
It's not a sign of being a failure as a follower of God. It's not these things. So John, he doubts and he sends his disciples and they show up to Jesus' teaching. I just want you to imagine for the moment, you know, Jesus is in front of this big group of individuals, right? And these three guys or four guys run up and they interrupt everything and they say, hey, we're from John and we want to know, are you the one? He needs to know if you are the one. And I love Jesus' reaction because he doesn't say, you idiots, how dare you interrupt me? He doesn't react in anger. He doesn't say, how dare John doubt me? He doesn't do any of this. He listens to them and he responds. And actually, what we see in his response is that Jesus welcomes our doubts. Some of you might be sitting there thinking, you know, Pastor, does Jesus really welcome our doubts? Does anybody really want to hear our doubts? And the answer is yes. He desperately wants to hear our doubts because if we're doubting, it means we're open and honest with him. And when we come to him with our doubts, it means we're looking to him for an answer. And Jesus responds by giving us hope. But here's the thing. It's not always in the form that we want. So let's take a look at that truth in Scripture. Jesus, let's look at Jesus' reply in verse 4. He says this. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now Jesus' response is very interesting to John. People throughout history have tried to link this response directly to an Old Testament quote, directly to an Old Testament scripture. And it's very similar to a lot of scriptures. It's similar to Isaiah, a scripture found in Isaiah 35, which says, Then the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and then the lame will leap like a deer. Now it's similar to this passage, and it's similar to many other passages, but it's not technically a direct quote from any Old Testament scripture. Yet Jesus' answer is probably the most biblical answer I've ever heard in my life. His answer is a summary of the entire ministry of all of the prophets. Every single one could be summarized in his words. And here is what Jesus is doing. He's saying to John the Baptist, okay, I hear your question. Now I'm going to point you back to Scripture. And you need to look at the Old Testament. Look at the pattern of the individuals who came before me, who brought deliverance to the people. These are people that we could call small-scale saviors. They brought salvation in their context. Jesus is the great Savior that provides salvation to man, but these people provided it in small context. He says, look at Elijah and Elisha. They healed the sick. They raised the dead. They cleansed lepers. They cared for the poor. But if you look at them, they were never popular. Elijah was a fugitive his entire life, running always. Jesus says, look at Joseph. He delivered his family, yet he rotted away in prison for years and years before God raised him up. 
Think of David. He was running from Saul in the wilderness, running for his life until God raised him up. Jesus is saying, if you think about it, the messianic promise of salvation that God gives has always flowed from the weak to the weak. And he says, if you think about it, all of my forerunners have been rejected. But this is not all that Jesus is saying in his answer. He's also saying this. I hang out with the weak. I'm with the blind, the lame, the lepers, and the poor. And Jesus is actually making a contrast between the world's understanding of salvation and his understanding of salvation. You see, John the Baptist had slipped into this worldly idea of salvation. He thought that salvation would be provided by a strong Messiah who came to pull together the strong and the moral individuals who would then band together and overthrow the evil of the Roman Empire. But Jesus is saying the opposite. He says, I'm weak and I only work with the weak. I only work with the poor. I only work with the blind. I only work with the lepers. There's multiple times in Jesus' ministry where he says, blessed are the poor, right? And he's speaking about the physically and monetarily poor. Jesus was with the poor. And if we are followers of Christ, we should be called to the poor. But he also says something else. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, these statements are not a contradiction. What he's saying is that his salvation is not a strong salvation for strong people who are worthy of it. No, it's a salvation that comes through weakness. And it's only available to the weak who know that they're not worthy of it and who only trust him for it. You see, the salvation that Jesus was offering John was a different type of salvation. It was not what John expected. It was a salvation that came through weakness. And in fact, I think that Jesus was actually pointing to his very own sacrifice on the cross here. His sacrifice was one of weakness. In fact, when he went to the cross, he became blind. The high priest blindfolded him and they beat him. He was taken outside of the city like a leper. And he was crucified next to a garbage dump like a poor and worthless man. Jesus became totally weak in order to save us. The very blessing of our salvation came through him being weak and taken advantage of. And here's the crazy thing. Jesus was so human that even in the midst of his suffering, in which he understood that God was going to bring salvation to man, he himself even doubted on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We don't know how God is at work in the midst of our pain, and we don't have the entire picture. John didn't have the entire picture. Jesus didn't have the entire picture fully revealed at that time. And we don't either. I've been reading recently about World War I a lot. And I, I just read a story about Winston Churchill. He was a major in the British Army. 
and he was stationed on the Western Front. So one day, as a major, he gets a telegram from his corps commander, this general, that says, we, have urgently, we urgently need to see you. And so he's really upset because it means they have to pull back from the front in the middle of the day, which was incredibly dangerous. It was only good to move at night during World War I. So they move out, they hike three miles back behind the front line, and they're supposed to be picked up by this general's car. And the car never shows up, and the meeting is canceled, right? Winston Churchill is covered in mud, they're soaked, they've had a few near-death experiences, he's so angry, and they say, okay, you guys got to go back. So they go back to the front, and when they arrived at the front, he saw something. The dugout that he had been living in was hit by a massive artillery shell, and all of the men inside were killed. He says this, when I saw the ruin, I was not so angry at the general after all. You see, like Winston Churchill, our minds are finite. We don't have the full picture. When Churchill got the full picture, he went from angry to grateful in about two seconds, right? But we, in most cases in our suffering, we won't have the full picture until we stand before the Father in heaven and he answers our cry. Now, I know we've been talking a lot about doubt the past few weeks, but maybe some of you are still thinking, won't Jesus be disappointed in me if I doubt? Well, here's the really awesome thing about this passage. After Jesus answers John's question, he actually defends John's ministry. He goes on in the following verses to talk about how great John is. You see, Jesus remains faithful to John, even when John is unfaithful to him. And Jesus remains faithful to us, even when we are unfaithful to him. Mother Teresa doubted. John the Baptist doubted. Jesus himself cried out on the cross. But today we saw Jesus' reaction to John's doubt. And it shows us that God welcomes our questions. And he answers in hope. But it's not always in the form that we want. Thanks be to God.